Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. This is the Law Notes episode. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the Trump administration's desperate attempt to implement its hateful transgender military ban by jumping the line straight to the Supreme Court. Next, we're going to talk about another cert petition. This time, it's the Alliance Defending Freedoms Challenge to a Pennsylvania school district policy that allows transgender students to use the restrooms and locker rooms consistent with their gender identity. Finally, we're going to discuss a state court ruling that chips away at the holding in Obergefell and their own state constitutional law by denying a lesbian mother co-parenting and visitation access to her child. With us, as always, is New York Law School professor Art Leonard, chief editor of Legal's LGBT Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. How you doing, Art? Okay. All right. Let's dig in. So on November 23rd, the Department of Justice asked the U.S. Supreme Court to review three preliminary federal district court rulings that have kept the Trump administration from implementing its discriminatory plan to prevent transgender people from serving in the military. The filing is very unusual and rather premature, given that there are appeals pending in two circuit courts, including one that was already argued last month month. It is just another example of this administration's willingness to trash norms, to harm trans people, and to prevent patriotic Americans from bravely serving their country. Art, tell us about the move here. Well, Eric, you really said it all. But oh, I did. I'll okay, to, well, we're done. I'll try to flesh it out. I'll try to flesh it out. Take it away. Okay. You know, for, people, for people whose heads have been in the sand for the past two years, uh, more than two years, what happened was that at the end of June 2016, during the presidential campaign year, Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter announced that after several years of intense study of a special uh, commissioned report from the RAND Corporation, from focus groups throughout the military, they came to the conclusion that it, it was not necessary to exclude transgender people from military service. And this has never been addressed in a statute. This was always by regulation. And they had considered uh, the... Uh, status of being transgender to be characteristic of a mental defect or deviation of some sort that would justify disqualifying people uh, just on on the basis of military regulations. Mm -hmm. So this is something that could be changed by the Secretary of Defense. They didn't have to go to Congress. So he lifted the ban. Effective July 1st, 2016, transgender people serving in the military could become open about being transgender and could even apply for uh, medical uh, assistance in transitioning to the gender with which they identify. Uh, He delayed by one year lifting the ban on enlistment of transgender people. He said there were a lot of details that had to be worked out about who would qualify. Uh, So that was the state of play when Donald Trump was elected president. And uh, in the summer of 2017, uh, end of June, Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis said, we're not ready to lift the implementation ban. We need six more months. Uh, But fate intervened. (laughs) 
I, I have a feeling you're going to talk about the tweet yes. now. Well, I'm, I'm getting to the tweet. You oh, know, okay. I was getting to the tweet. Fate <laughs> intervened in uh-huh. the form of an amendment proposed by some members of the House to uh-huh. a pending defense appropriations bill during July. Mm. They wanted an amendment banning the expenditure of any money appropriated under that bill for gender transition uh, treatment for transgender military personnel. Uh, and their amendment was narrowly defeated on the floor of the House. So they contacted the president, and they said, you're not going to get your appropriations bill unless you do something about this because the people who had sponsored that amendment were a large enough group of Republicans that if they didn't vote for the bill and the Democrats didn't vote for the bill, it wouldn't pass. Wow. So Trump had to do something because this bill supposedly was going to have money for his wall with Mexico. And, of course, we know the wall with Mexico is a recurring theme in this administration. It will never get built, but it will be talked about an awful lot. Yeah. So, at any rate, Trump obviously came up with the easy solution to the problem. Just ban military service by transgender people. Mm-hmm. So Trump does his tweets. Uh, he broke it up into three tweets. And his pause between the first and the second tweet was rather long, and you couldn't tell from the first tweet what was going to happen. And supposedly people at the Pentagon were all on edge because he said something. The first part of it said, we'll not be allowed to serve in the military, and they didn't know who was not going to be allowed to serve in the military. So at any rate, uh, the tweet came out. It said that transgender people will not be allowed to serve in any capacity in the United States military. Uh, And, of course, by then there were many transgender people who had been serving for more than a year Mm -hmm. openly. Uh, There were more who were not yet open about being transgender. And there were transgender people who were interested in joining the military just waiting for January 1st to roll around Mm. so they could apply. So uh, Trump's announcement uh, led to one lawsuit being filed right away. Uh, Then later in August, uh, Trump issued a memorandum fleshing the whole thing out and charging Mattis with the task of coming up with an implementation plan for this ban. Uh, So Mattis in September appointed a task force to write a report and to recommend a new policy. Uh, The names of the members of that task force have never been disclosed, and uh, the Defense Department and the Justice Department have been stonewalling in discovery in the subsequent lawsuits, refusing to reveal who is involved in any of this. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, after the August 2017 memorandum came out, uh, there were three more lawsuits filed, so in a total of four lawsuits, uh, one in the District of Columbia, one in Baltimore, one in Seattle, and one in Riverside, California. So we have two within the Ninth Circuit, one in the Fourth Circuit, and one in the D.C. Circuit. Uh, within weeks, actually, the uh, district judges had issued preliminary injunctions requested by the plaintiffs to stop the ban from going into effect. And there were two critical dates that were looming at that point, January 1st, when uh, the ban on enlistment was supposed to be lifted. Under Trump's August memorandum, the ban on enlistment was to remain indefinitely. Mm. Uh, The second was March, because in his August memorandum, Uh, Trump said that no action will be taken against serving transgender members in the military until March when he would be implementing whatever Mattis was proposing in February, because that was Mattis's deadline was February to uh, give the implementation plan to the White House. Uh, So with those uh, dates looming, the federal district judges, all four of them, issued preliminary injunctions, which they said were nationwide in effect, and 
which, uh, with some clarifications that were later issued, meant that enlistment would start on January 1st mm -hmm. and that the ban would not go into effect in March. Wow. Yep. And in the, in the meantime, there were some incidents going on where people, the administration, of course, was very upset about the preliminary injunctions. Uh, they uh, tried to get them stayed. The district judges refused to stay them. Mm -hmm. Two circuit courts refused to stay them. It was the D.C. Circuit and the Fourth Circuit. Okay. And uh, they decided not to appeal further because they said whatever Mattis is going to recommend in February, that may change the story and we can start all over again. Mm. So Mattis issued his proposal to the president in February, and the proposal was probably what would have been come up, what, what would have been proposed in July by Trump if he'd bothered to involve people who are knowledgeable about law. And, <laughs> you know, in, I, I think he, he thought up this, uh, this ban all by himself or with his little coterie of uh, psychophants in the White House. Mm -hmm. So uh, what they proposed was not to ban people because of their gender identity, but to ban people who were diagnosed with gender dysphoria. In other words, they came up with a great strategy, they thought. It would no longer be a categorical ban based on status. And the problem with bans based on status is equal protection. Mm -hmm. They said, no, this is going to be a ban based on health. Defense Department and the Justice Department pounced on this and said, okay, we're excluding people who have a medical condition. And it's uncontested that we can exclude people based on medical conditions. And there's no categorical discrimination mm -hmm. here. It's a different policy. And they also decided to grandfather in everybody who was already serving and who had transitioned okay. or had begun transitioning in the military. So in any event, uh, after Mattis issued his report to the president, the president officially revoked his August memorandum and his tweets. Okay. Which and that's he, what the injunction was based And the injunction on. was against the August memorandum and the tweets, or the policies announced in them. Yep. And uh, the, uh, the, the Defense Department, uh, well, actually, it's the Justice Department is representing them. So this is Sessions. This is not just Mattis yep. uh, up till relatively recently. Uh, so the Justice Department filed motions in all four cases asking that the preliminary injunctions be dissolved on the ground that they had become moot because the policy that they enjoined had been revoked mm -hmm. and because the new policy raised different issues and they now argued that the new policy is not a ban, it's different, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so far, three out of the four district judges have ruled on that. Okay. And they've rejected it. They've said, no, the new ban is just the old ban in new clothing. Yeah. You know, it's the same old thing. Yep. Uh, this is like the old status conduct distinction that they've tried to argue in the past in terms of sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. You know, that we have nothing against gay people. We just hate sodomy, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so they said, well, the, like gender dysphoria is sort of how you identify people who are transgender who want to transition. Right. You know, that's what it's about. But according to the Supreme Court, that the, the status... Uh, well, in sexual orientation, right. the Supreme Court has said you can't separate the two. Right. Uh, that, the, the, that, the orient, that the conduct or the desire is definitional of the status. Yep. And so that's what we have here. So three of the judges have, uh, have rejected that. The fourth judge hasn't ruled yet because the judge who issued the original preliminary injunction retired in June. And the case has been reassigned to another judge. Okay. Uh, so the situation is that the ban has not gone into effect. It was announced by Trump in July of 2017. Here we are in December of 2018. Mm -hmm. The ban has still not gone into effect. 
so we've got to we've got to establish the principle. This is the Justice Department's big claim now. We have to establish the principle that it's up to the military, not federal judges, to decide who can serve in the military. Mm -hmm. That it's a matter of deference to professional military judgment, such as that exhibited by Donald Trump on July 26, 2017. So uh, the district judges aren't buying it. Uh, the refusal of the three district judges to dissolve their uh, preliminary injunctions has been appealed. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the Ninth Circuit heard argument in October. Uh, the D.C. Circuit was scheduled to hear argument December 10th, and we are recording this a few days after that. So okay. that argument's been heard. Uh, neither of the circuits have issued decisions yet. Uh, I checked the Ninth Circuit uh, website this morning before we record this <laughs> podcast because you never know. You never know. You've got to be the latest. So we don't know. And so the administration got impatient. It became clear to them by late November that if they don't move on this pretty quickly, it can't be decided by the Supreme Court this term because of the numbers, because mm -hmm. of the, da the dates and how many days you have to file a brief and how many days you have to file a response. If the Supreme Court doesn't agree to review the refusal to stay these injunctions by early January, it can't be argued by the last argument day of the term, which is April 24th. Of course, the Supreme Court can add argument days, mm -hmm. uh, but they're assuming that April 24th is the last date for argument and counting back, that means they need a decision if they're going to get Supreme Court review this term. Wow. Otherwise, it gets held over till next October to be argued mm -hmm. and not decided for a few months after that. Right. But it would allow this to play out in the lower courts like it right. should be doing. Right. And and the Ninth Circuit is not a laggard circuit that takes forever to decide cases. They'll, they'll be issuing a decision right along. Yeah. The D.C. Circuit usually moves pretty fast, too. The remaining federal district judge who has yet to rule on the motion may be playing a waiting game, waiting to see what the mm. D.C. and Ninth Circuits do or what the Supreme Court does now. Uh, why go out on a limb mm -hmm. and issue a decision if you don't have to? So uh, over the Thanksgiving weekend, they filed cert petitions in the three cases that are pending before the courts of appeals, asking the court to let them jump directly to the Supreme Court, bypass the court of appeals, and let the Supreme Court decide if a preliminary injunction should have been issued. They're not even asking for a final ruling on the merits because there is no ruling in the district courts on the merits yet. Mm. Uh, to get a preliminary injunction, the plaintiffs had to show that they were likely to, re uh, to succeed on the merits, but uh, the district judges have made clear that they need trials, that these cases are not going to be decided on summary judgment because there are contested facts all over right. the place. And then you've got all the issues of the evidence that right. the, the Trump discovery. administration doesn't want to admit. The Trump administration is claiming two kinds of privilege here. They're claiming presidential executive privilege, that uh, discovery cannot touch anything that Trump said to anybody or that anybody said directly to Trump. And then there's decisional privilege, uh, which has to do with shielding the internal policy discussions within the executive branch. Uh, and that's not as strong as presidential executive privilege, where uh, that kind of information is crucial to deciding the merits of a case, especially a constitutional challenge such as this. Uh, courts have usually ordered uh, compliance to some degree. Mm. And in these cases so far, the federal district judges have said that uh, the White House, the Defense Department, the Justice Department have to come up with at least some of the internal documents and information that's being requested. Uh, there has been a very interesting side effect of all this litigation, 
and that is that all these federal district judges have had to decide what the standard of review is for an equal protection claim based on gender identity. Mm -hmm. And we've had a few cases, employment cases and others, but this is the first time in the military context that they've had to deal with this. And so far, all of them have said heightened scrutiny, and one of them has said strict scrutiny. Uh, so and that's, that's a big deal. Yes. A side effect of this litigation is that we may establish uh, significant constitutional protection against discrimination by the government for transgender people. Wow. So we can thank Trump for that. I'm sure he intended that as one of the benefits of his tweet. Wow. When he was thinking through the consequences of his actions, which he always does so thoroughly. I would rather thank Lambda Legal and GLAD and the National Center for Lesbian Rights. And, and the Transgender Legal Defense people. and Every outserve SLDN, yes, I think. Right. They're uh, involved. GLAD in Boston is involved. Yeah. Um, so they they rushed right in. They sued in 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 all of these areas. Um, put together a plaintiff class, which was particularly difficult. Organizational plaintiffs that they uh, that they brought in, and this was at the same time that there was massive protest out in the streets. So you know the legal groups really have the backs of the uh, LGBT community, and here trans service members, and so okay. I'll thank them instead. So now we have to do the real update which is the update to the update, because people who this week are subscribers to Law Notes and will be getting their copies will have the story as of the end of November. Oh, no, but there's more. There's more. Uh, should, I li should I have some breaking music behind you? No. It's, uh, <laughs> the more is that uh, it suddenly occurred to someone in the Solicitor General's office that, you know, they can get the, uh, the cert grant, and those injunctions may still stay in effect. Hmm. Well, it's pending before the Supreme Court. This could go on for months. And so suddenly they had a brainstorm, and they filed motions in all three cases in December uh, for a stay of the preliminary injunctions. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's phrased sort of in the alternative. They, they say, look, the way things look now, you'll probably be conferencing these cert petitions on January 11th. Uh, given the time that the respondents have to re reply to the petitions. We have already in advance waived our right to respond to those replies because we don't want it to stretch out another few weeks. So we're, we're shooting for January 11th for the court uh, to consider this. At the same time, we want you to consider these motions we're filing for stay. Mm -hmm. We want you to stay the injunctions so we can implement the policy. But they, their motions state in the alternative to the court, look, guys, here's our bargain with you. Please just end the nationwide effect of the injunctions. Just stay that hmm. and say that we can't take action against any of the plaintiffs or use their gender dysphoria diagnosis as a basis for those who want to enlist. Uh, we, we just give relief to the people who have individual Article Three standing mm -hmm. in this case. Well, there are organizations in some of these cases as plaintiffs who have Article Three standing. Mm -hmm. And what you can say, anyone who moves to the state of Washington, because <laughs> Washington is a plaintiff. Well, and the, the, the whole point here is not to change the status quo, is right. to freeze everything while they decide whether right. this policy is constitutional. Yeah. These are status quo injunctions. Right. It's and and there is no reason to change the status quo at present. That's right. Uh, but, of course, that would undercut 
the government's argument because their argument is that it is vitally important. Right. It is an emergency. We must move fast. That's why you have to skip over the courts of appeals. That's why it has to be argued this term yeah. because there's this big emergency. So on the stay issue, how many justices need to agree? Five need to agree to a stay. Only four need to agree to a cert grant. Okay. There we are. It's, wow. It's a bit confusing. It wasn't. You explained it from the very beginning. You started before the tweet, in fact. Yes. We, well, the prehistory of the tweet. <laughs> that is a really comprehensive look, so thank you so much for bringing us all up to speed. Let's go ahead and take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about another cert uh, petition before the Supreme Court. Great, and we're back. On November 19th, 2018, the Supreme Court was asked to review the Boyertown Area School District's policy of allowing students to use the restrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identity. The ACLU is defending the school's policy, and the hate group, ADF, having been slapped down by the Third Circuit, is in a rush to get this case up, and it bets that it has a new anti-LGBTQ majority on SCOTUS that will be receptive. Art, tell us about this Third Circuit case. Okay, this Third Circuit case is part of a an affirmative litigation strategy by ADF uh, to challenge school districts who have decided to comply with the guidance that was sent out by the Obama administration uh, in response to the GG lawsuit, which we've talked about in past podcasts mm-hmm. that arose in Virginia involving uh, a transgender boy in Gloucester County, uh, Virginia. And as part of that litigation, uh, the uh, Education Department and the Justice Department in the Obama administration had sent a letter to the judge and then subsequently sent a dear colleague letter to all public school districts in the country stating that their interpretation of Title IX of the Education Amendments Act was that uh, discrimination in access to facilities on the basis of gender identity, violated the sex discrimination ban in Title IX. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and uh, we had litigation going on in many different areas in the country on this issue, affirmative litigation on behalf of students, usually brought by the ACLU, National Center for Lesbian Rights, the Lambda Legal, the various When a school groups, wouldn't when a school allow them to use the... Uh, so, we, so the case is all over, and we were winning them. Yeah. Uh, because it was reasonable. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about this even as recently as last episode, yeah. where we had four over the summer where we were winning boom, 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 this right. case being one of them. Uh, so what ADF decided to do is to take the offensive and to go after those school districts who had decided to comply. Mm-hmm. Now, in the course of the first few months of the Trump administration, uh, the Justice Department and the Education Department, the new leadership had withdrawn the Obama administration guidance. So the guidance was no longer there for courts to defer to. But most of the school districts who had received the guidance seemed to have complied, uh, at least to the extent if they knew that they had transgender students. And some of them who didn't even know whether they had transgender students just affirmatively adopted a policy. Uh, So there were a lot of targets out there. And ADF decided to come up with a counter strategy. The counter strategy is to claim that allowing transgender students to use these facilities violates the privacy rights of cisgender students. So uh, they went into court, and there are several of these pending around the country, uh, but the one that's gotten the furthest in this case is in uh, Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And so ADF found some plaintiffs. So ADF goes into federal district court and says the uh, right under Title IX 
of equal access to facilities on the basis of sex is being violated, and so is the constitutional right of privacy mm -hmm. by requiring these people to share restroom and locker room facilities with transgender students. And we want a preliminary injunction against the school's policy while we're litigating this. And the district judge, uh, I assume, kept a straight face and, you know, treated them politely but said no. And they went to the Third Circuit, and the Third Circuit said no. And so now they're going to the Supreme Court. And this is, once again, this is just over a preliminary injunction. It's yeah. sort of unusual to take preliminary injunctions to the Supreme Court. Everybody's in a rush right now. Right. And they're in a rush because uh, Mr. Trump has finished converting the Supreme Court to extreme conservatives. Yeah. With the appointments of, and uh, we'll see how what the appetite is of this of this new majority on the Supreme Court for granting some of these things very soon. Right, um, and and uh, we're not sure when this case is going to be conferenced because uh, I mean the petition was just filed uh, in November, and uh, the respondents have a month to respond, or forty five days actually to respond. And then uh, we've got uh, replies. So it could be sometime in January. We'll find out whether the court is doing this. If they grant cert after the middle of January, it won't be argued till next year, most likely. Uh, so that's where we are in Title IX. And we still have other Title IX cases going on around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's something that everyone is watching very closely. And how the military cases are decided could definitely affect this. Okay. Because uh, in the military cases, we're talking about the equal protection component of the Fifth Amendment. In these cases, we're talking not just about Title IX, but because these are public schools, we're talking about the Equal Protection Clause. Mm -hmm. And many of these access cases have also gone off on equal protection. Uh, so how it is eventually decided either in this line of litigation or in the military litigation will affect how the government has to deal with its transgender citizens. Wow. So even if we don't have a blockbuster term this time, we may next. It seems very likely the, the court is going to have to take some of these cases, and then you know there are a bunch of other issues right. that could affect LGBT folks. Well, the, the interesting thing, because I I've just finished uh, a few months ago, my co-author and I finished work on the third edition of our case book, mm -hmm. and we decided there was so much transgender law that we just have an entire chapter devoted to transgender law, and amazingly to us. The Supreme Court has never decided on the merits a real transgender law case. Mm -hmm. uh, the only case, they, they had one case involving a de-farmer who was a transgender federal prisoner and who suffered sexual assaults and brought an Eighth Amendment claim. Okay. And the court decided that she had standing to bring an Eighth Amendment claim. Basically. And that's it. Uh, yeah, they, they basically uh, they overturned the lower court saying that she can't sue under the Equal Protection Clause. But, uh, or rather under the Eighth Amendment. But, but basically, uh, mm. the decision was focused on the potential liability of prison personnel and the government for failing to protect prisoners who are vulnerable to assault. So we have yet, and this was interesting in our casebook because the first chapter of our casebook is a chronological survey of Supreme Court opinions on LGBT issues. Wow. And the only transgender case we found was the D. Farmer case, and it isn't even really a transgender rights case as such. 
so if the court in the next term or two actually takes on some... You'll have to go back and write it again. Well, we'll have to, for <laughs> our fourth edition, we'll have to have some stuff in Chapter 1 from More the Supreme money. Court. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Sexuality law casebooks aren't like contracts casebooks. They don't sell millions of copies. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, I find it interesting, and I know our listeners probably do too. Uh, so to sum up, if we make it to the 11th, and a little beyond when they issue their grants and denials. Um, can we breathe easy for this term? If, if, if we nothing, don't get a grant? If nothing is granted on an LGBT issue by the middle of January, we probably won't have any cases decided this term. Okay. All but right. the likelihood is high that one will. And wait till our of note segment. Oh, okay. All right. Preview of things to come. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about a state court case. Great, so we're back. Um, We've talked about efforts to chip away at the equal dignity principle at the heart of the marriage equality ruling in Obergefell v. Hodges before, and today we have a bad ruling from an appellate court in Kentucky where the court overturned the family court's ruling and denied a lesbian mother co-parenting and visitation access to her child. Tell us a little bit about this uh, case, Art. Okay, and, and this, this was somewhat unusual because it arose in a state that has good pre-Obergefell law on this. Okay. Uh, in 2010, in the case of Mullins against Picklesheimer, the, <laughs> well, I don't make these names I know, up. I know. <laughs> uh, the Kentucky Supreme Court issued a historic same-sex co-parent ruling okay. in which they said that the, uh, the co-parent who had joined in planning for the conception of the child and who had joined in raising it and played a parental role and had bonded with the child, if the parents split up, uh, she could have standing uh, to seek custody, uh, joint custody, shared custody, as some jurisdictions call it, shared parenting rights mm-hmm. and visitation. And they uh, set out a bunch of criteria that the court should consider in trying to figure out whether someone actually stood in that role and should be treated that way. Okay. Okay, so that's the law in Kentucky. And uh, we have a same-sex couple in Kentucky. Uh, In this case, uh, Terry Whitehouse and Tammy Delaney, and they decided to have a child, Mm -hmm. and they did the the, uh, uh, assisted uh, reproduction technology, technology, Mm -hmm. and they had a child together, and uh, Tammy was the birth mother, and Terry is the co-parent. Shortly after they had the child, they went through a civil union sort of ceremony, but a a private ceremony, because Kentucky didn't have any kind of recognition for same-sex couples at the time. Okay. Uh, So they clearly were a seriously committed couple, Mm -hmm. and they were raising this child together, and eventually the relationship broke down. Now, between the time if the child was born and the relationship broke down, the Supreme Court decided Obergefell, and it became possible in Kentucky to get married. Okay. But they didn't get married. Right. Okay. And maybe, we don't know why, maybe it was their relationship was already a little bit sticky, or maybe it was just that they decided they didn't need it. Yep. Which, it turns out, may be a fatal mistake. So, uh, in this case, there's a breakup. And uh, ultimately, Tammy is trying to exclude Terry. Terry wants to be declared a legal co-parent with some rights Mm -hmm. in terms of visitation. And uh, they go into the Jefferson County Circuit Court where Judge Deanna McDonald, applying the existing law, existing precedents, decided that uh, Terry had standing Mm -hmm. and awarded her 
shared parenting rights and visitation, and it gets appealed. And the Kentucky Court of Appeals panel decided, evidently, that Obergefell changes the equation in Kentucky. Okay. That the ultimate proof that somebody is not just a caretaker or a family friend or something like that, but is actually a co-parent, marry the biological parent, preferably before the child is born. But they want uh, this, this, this panel says there should be a bright line test, basically, and that it's time for the Kentucky Supreme Court to reconsider the Mullins decision from 2010 because they said that decision was passed in reaction to the situation that we had same-sex couple families out there with kids and courts had to decide cases and we didn't have any statutory law to guide us. And so the Supreme Court came up with a workaround. But the workaround is no longer necessary because same-sex couples can marry. So now they, they say the rules should be the same for same-sex couples and opposite-sex couples. If you want both parents to have legal standing, yeah. they should be married to each other. Wow. Uh, and this is what many people had feared. Uh, at, the, at the time when there was a lot of debate within the LGBT legal community and among political types about should we be putting so much weight on marriage and make marriage so central and important, mm -hmm. what are we going to be doing to same-sex couples who don't want to get married right. or who, for whatever reason of lack of access to, uh, uh, to financial resources, to legal advice, whatever, uh, just don't have it available to them? Right. Uh, and what happens to domestic partnership benefits and things right. that... All kinds of things. Yeah. That, and uh, we have... Uh, and, and the heartbreaking thing about reading about an opinion like this is the family court judge who saw the parties, saw the kids, saw the, saw the moms, got whatever professional study and advice mm -hmm. was done, right. and came to a conclusion based on all the evidence in the record that it was in the best interest of this child to continue having a relationship with this woman who was her co-parent for the yeah. early years of her life. And uh, this is now overridden by formal rules of standing. Yeah. It's, it's like the situation we faced in New York for so many years with the awful Allison D case, uh -huh. which didn't get overruled until just recently. Until Legal came. Yeah, Legal came along <laughs> and played an amicus We've been role litigating a lot of these right. cases. And I will say, you know, this gives us an opportunity, and I know Law Notes really does a good job of putting forward all of the cases that are impacting LGBT folks, including family issues criminal legal issues, which are happening in state courts, and they don't get the same kind of attention, but they're enormously consequential, um, particularly where it involves families and parents and access to visitation, custody, all of those things, benefits. So um, I'm glad that we're talking about the importance of state Supreme Courts and state trial courts um, by highlighting this case and others in, in Law Notes and talking about them on this podcast. Great. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that of, well, why don't we of just note. not, why don't we just not take a break and talk about our of note now? Punch right in. Punch right in. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm down for not taking a break. You gave us a well, little bit of a preview. This, so. this, this has become, to a large extent, a Supreme Court issue of the Law Notes podcast. And so <laughs> on that note, we should just remind people that there are three cert petitions pending in the U.S. Supreme Court on the question whether Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which bans, among other things, discrimination because of sex, mm -hmm. whether it protects LGBT people from dis uh, discrimination in the workplace. Mm -hmm. We know that in the public sector now, there are some good equal protection arguments 
that LGBT employees can make. Mm -hmm. And that in, I think it's 22 states now, there are state laws. And in several hundred counties and municipalities, there are local ordinances that ban sexual orientation discrimination. But there are vast areas in this country that don't have any state or local law where private sector employees, non-governmental employees, have no statutory protection unless Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is interpreted to protect them. Mm -hmm. And so we have these three cases. One case that was lost by the gay plaintiff in the 11th Circuit, mm -hmm. a case that was won by the estate of the gay plaintiff in the Second Circuit. Here in New York? Yes, and those are the sexual orientation cases. Mm -hmm. And then we have a gender identity case involving a transgender funeral director mm -hmm. in we Ohio. about that in case. In the Sixth Circuit. And uh, so we think it will be conferenced on January 4th, but we don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, it will undoubtedly be conferenced in January. Maybe they don't want to take both the military trans case and the Title VII cases in the same term. We don't know. Uh, the Solicitor General even argued uh, that maybe it would be premature to decide this, let it percolate in the lower courts longer. But it's percolated long enough. We've got two circuits now, yeah. uh, both on bank decisions, mm -hmm. saying that sexual orientation is covered. We've got a strong decision from the Sixth Circuit. There's a case pending that's yet to be argued in the Eighth Circuit on sexual orientation. Hmm. So this is going on around the country. In the Ninth Circuit, everyone knows what the Ninth Circuit thinks. They just <laughs> I was going to say. The shoe yeah. hasn't dropped yet in an actual case. But, wow. But all the seeds are there. So uh, Again, they're going to have to take yes, this case sooner or later. Sooner or later, they'll have to decide this. And uh, does it make a difference whether it's sooner or later? I mean, the court after this term can only get worse, not better. <laughs> oh, come on. At least for a year or two. <laughs> Until uh, we have a new president or a new Senate majority. Somebody, <laughs> Mike Pence could get indicted. Trump could resign. Or and we would have Nancy Pelosi <laughs> running the executive branch. Appointing the next Supreme yes. Court justice. So we just don't know. We Crazier don't know. things have happened. Um, all right. Well, if you're... If, no, and, it's, <laughs> and it's our last Law Notes podcast of 2018. And we have to say... This has been a crazy year. It really has. It's exhausting, isn't it? Like, it is. It's exhausting. Totally exhausting. Um, Just keeping up with all this. Yeah, but thanks for keeping us up to speed. Um, <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for us, too. So thank you for listening. This and future podcasts can be found online in, on iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter and like us on Facebook. We'll be back in the new year.